G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. 2020, bringing a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Weekdays on UCB's Vision Radio Network. Find out more at vision.org.au. Don Batten, welcome to 2020. Well, thank you, Neil. Good to be here. Don, I've been talking about us uh, discussing issues from the Garden of Eden. Uh, well, you're a horticultural researcher, and uh, I guess this is one, one of your areas of expertise. Well, that's true, and I'm really encouraged by the fact that the first things that God created were fruit trees. Okay, that's right. what it says. Uh, the first things created were fruit trees, and that's what I did research on. Does that give you any seniority around oh, the office oh, when I've, people oh, are saying, "Oh, I'm talking about animals," and you well, say, "Well, fruit trees came first. You could wish. <laughs> <laughs> what sort of what sort of things would we be thinking about if we're discussing fruit trees, the Garden of Eden, uh, and the things that we might see around us today that might, uh, you know, cause us to question the things that are happening with this creation evolution debate? Is there any uh, things? that we would be interested in? Well, one of the big things that people wonder about or ask a question is, you know, how, how can God be good if there's so much bad stuff in the world today? And uh, when we look at the Garden of Eden in the Bible, we find that it was actually, it was a paradise. It wasn't bad stuff. It wasn't sickness and death and things like that that we see today. So we say, well, we live in a different world today. What's happened? And of course, it tells us there in Genesis what happened. And that is the first people, Adam and Eve, rebelled against the Creator and said, we don't want you to rule over us, basically. And when we kick God out of the picture, uh, bad stuff happens. It's Neil with you on 2020. Our special guest this hour, Dr. Don Batten, who's a research scientist with Creation Ministries. Uh, Don, uh, when you first got interested in issues to do with creation and evolution, you were in a studious time of your life, uh, studying uh, right through those uh, scientific uh, disciplines. Uh, tell us your story just uh, in a nutshell. Well, in a nutshell, I arrived, uh, well, I got to evolution at high school, uh, first time in Australia, actually, in the 1960s. Before that, it wasn't really taught much at all. And uh, they revamped the curriculum and secularised, that is, kicked God out. And what did they bring in place to put evolution in place? And um, I got hit with this and I sort of, it was taught as science. So you think, well, this must be factual. It must be true. I have to believe it. As a Christian, I didn't really know what to think about it. Um, I sort of didn't really know what to think until it was a long journey. But by the time I was doing a PhD, actually, my doctorate at university, it was, that was when I really started to realize what it was, it was all about. And it was really about evolution is really a story about every, how everything came to be without God. And it is a story, a, a very fancy story in places, but it's a story. And the idea is to explain everything without reference to a creator. Is it the case that in your early days you were compartmentalizing and saying, uh, uh, while I'm studying my science, I don't need to open that Bible, then on Sunday as a Christian you would turn up at church and you'd open that Bible and say, I'm trying to put science aside. You've compartmentalized those things and... And uh, the two are uh, yeah. different. Exactly. This is a two boxes approach, you know, and you've got your faith in a box over here and stuff, other stuff in a box over here and just keep them apart and everything can be happy and many people do that. And it's not a new idea. I mean, you, uh, 
uh, even the Pope said there's two magisteria. There's magisterium of science and a magisterium of religion, and you know, keep the two apart. And many people do this, but it's really a very unsatisfactory thing to do because uh, God calls us to worship him with everything, our body, mind, and soul. Mind? Yeah, mind. <laughs> and if, if you can think over here things that are contrary to what your faith says, well, you've got, some, you've got a conflict going in there. And, and, and it wasn't until I resolved that I realized how damaging it was to my life and my faith and, and, and my witness and my, my talk, ability to talk to people about what I believed. Uh, and it was an incredible release of faith when I came to grips with this issue and realized that really the Bible really has a real history of the world. Uh, recorded there. Let's take a call or two now, Don. Uh, Neil is on the line in Brisbane. Hello, Neil. Welcome to 2020. Uh, g'day. How's it going? Uh, good. Sorry, is it, who, who am I speaking to? This is Cameron. Uh, Cameron. Okay, Cameron, sorry about that. I called you, Neil. Uh, uh, yeah, what's, uh, what's, yeah. what's your question? Uh, my question is, um, what, what does the Bible say about the... Um, the agricultural diversity issues that we might be facing in the future um, with the rise of genetically modified organisms and stuff. Just that's my question. Um, it doesn't say anything specifically about it. Um, it. There's basic principles there regarding the whole of living. That is, is what we're doing uh, reasonable? Is it sensible? Is it honouring what God has created? Different questions like that can be applied to these things. And, it, and of course, uh, God granted us with the ability to think and to uh, reason things out. And so we apply these things to what we do. Now, some people have looked at, say, genetic modified food and said, oh, you know, in the Old Testament it says in the law there you're not, not allowed to, to, to mix different animals or uh, different plants and things. Uh, like you plant a crop, you don't plant two different crops together. And so, therefore, we're not allowed to hybridize things. And this, it's not saying that. Uh, not not the, not what the Bible's talking about, and um, the, the the whole genetic modification thing. There are good aspects to it, and there are questionable aspects to it. And it's, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater by saying it's all bad. For example, with cotton, uh, previously cotton growers would spray the crop with pesticides like twelve times in a season. Genetically modified cotton came along where they're able to actually incorporate a bacterial toxin in it, which is not toxic to people, but is toxic to the, the uh, grubs that actually eat the cotton. And so consequently, now the number of sprays is two or three, sometimes none, in a season. So this genetically modified cotton enables us to grow cotton without all this pesticide spraying. Okay, Now, we're not eating the cotton, so it's not a question about your health, and it's just you're wearing it, and there's, it is, there's, there's not a really an issue there about the health of it. So there's a really clear example of a very positive effect of a genetically modified crop. Okay, So another one is uh, insulin that people, uh, diabetics are given, uh, comes from a microbe that's been genetically engineered to produce the insulin. So are we going to say that's wrong? We shouldn't genetically engineer the microbe to produce the insulin. Uh, oh, yeah. Human insulin. So, so this is a so there's there's that aspect. There's positive aspects to it. Now, on the other other end of the scale, you've got people uh, genetically modifying crops to produce more vitamin A, for example, uh, which is missing in the diets of a lot of people. Say, for example, some maize with more vitamin A and things like that. That can be beneficial. But the question there is, in the genetic modification process, 
is the product really healthy and safe to eat over a long time, like a human lifetime? And they do tests with rats and things. Rats only live for a few years. So is it really representative? So there are question marks over some of this stuff, but you can't just throw out the baby with the bathwater and say it's all bad. Cameron uh, from Cairns, uh, is your question along the lines of uh, of genetic modification, is that a form of evolution? Is that what you're saying? Oh, no. What I was getting at is that it's a um, it's sort of going with the... As, as the biodiversity reduces, isn't that an indication of the decay of this um, this world that that we're living in right now. But another issue that I'm um, concerned about is the um, the the attitude that certain corporations are having about um, gaining intellectual property rights over original specimens. And original, um, you know, variations of crops and stuff like that. You know, so we, you, you won't be able to, perch, you won't be able to grow this type of pro, um, product or produce this type of product, and you're going to be, you can't opt out your pigeon your, your pigeonhole into purchasing GMOs. You know, um, if that was a situation that. Uh company's got such power, that would not be a good good thing, I agree. But that's the role of governments to make sure that such monopolies are not allowed. And uh, and we in a democratic society should certainly make sure that our governments are making sure that uh, such control is not given to anybody. Uh, it's very well recognised, and there is an element to, to the whole creation evolution debate here, and you touched upon it there with the degeneration, is that the uh, around the world, uh, plant scientists, people involved in uh, plant biology and breeding of crops and so on, are v- very well aware that uh, we need to preserve the great diversity of plants that are available on the earth. Say, for all the different wheat species and varieties and everything, we need to preserve these and not allow them to be lost. And so there are um, seed banks and things uh, in different countries which have been set up to actually preserve these things, and people are out collecting these things to make sure they're, they're preserved. And, of course, you've got a, a whole... Um, a community of uh, sort of gardeners and so on who are preserving old varieties, tomatoes and things like this, and nobody can stop people doing that. And uh, that's a good thing, that these things are being preserved and kept and uh, and propagated. Because what happens is when a new disease happens or, or something happens and wheat loses its ability to resist um, rust, for example, we need to go to the wild varieties which actually have this resistance and then incorporate it into our wheat ver- uh, varieties which we're grow to, that are suitable for wheat or for bread or pasta or whatever else. Um, and it's a big process to do it. But uh, we need to preserve these things. And if somebody was doing things which stopped them being preserved, that would be that would be terrible. And I, I would think that uh, we should uh, be using our political power to stop that happening. Cameron from Cairns, thank you for being part of 2020 today. Let's take uh, another call. Uh, this one is from Neil in Brisbane. Hello, Neil. Hello. Hello, Don. Hello, Neil. Hey, uh, I just have a question. It says that um, your CV says that you have a broad grasp of science issues within a biblical framework. It seems to me that that would make you an extremely narrow grasp of science issues because if the Bible is anything, it's not a science book. 
Well, if the Bible is the Word of God, who knows everything, uh, then it's a basis of us understanding everything. And without, yes, but as a as a scientist, you you could you can't just proclaim that. You've got to give us some evidence. Oh, of course. Why should anybody else believe it? Of course, and there is plenty of evidence that the Bible is, in fact, the Word of God. Um, well, uh, I, th- I think if well, for a start, you've you've got to even. You've got to demonstrate that there is such a thing as a supernatural for starters, you know. Um, and while you know, while you know your science, it seems to me that uh, you'd be a bit of a laughing stock within the normal biological scientific world if you're claiming that evolution is not true and the world's only a few thousand years old. I mean, this this is just seriously silly stuff, isn't it? <laughs> uh, well, obviously you think so. Um, oh, I, I certainly do, and. Um, and I think we're 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 making a mockery of Christianity. I mean, Christianity these days seems to infer to a hell of a lot of people, a lot of weirdos who believe the Earth's six thousand years old and, and miracles can happen, rather than the basis of it really, which is being kind to all others, and that predates Christianity why, by a hell of a long way. You know, why why should you be kind to other people? Simply because it it is the right thing to do. Who said? And you don't. We 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 don't need a a supernatural creator to tell us that. In fact, you use you use exactly the same thing as anybody who doesn't believe to decide what's right and what's wrong. No. You simply then backtrack and find it in your holy book. And as far as I'm concerned, the Bible is an ordinary book written by ordinary people. It's got a lot of it's got a lot of um, incredibly terrific stuff, beautiful stuff in it, and to imagine that it is literally true is making a mockery of the marvellous stuff that's in it. Or perhaps and I really you, think you, it's you, just you, doing you, such you, a disservice. You're going to actually... And uh, it's, it's dumbing the whole thing down so much, Don. Um, are you going to allow me to say something, or are you just going to give us a uh, monologue? No, I, 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 well, you just asked me a question, and I no, gave you the answer. Well, you didn't give me an answer, actually. Yeah. Um, if we just rearrange pond scum, if we just chemicals from a big bang, how do you get what we ought to do out of that? So you, you're basically saying proof through personal incredulity. How, how does postulating a supernatural creator explain anything? Uh, you're sidestepping the question. I asked you, how do you get what we ought to do, that we should be kind to one another, if we are just bags of chemicals? Because we are not just bags of chemicals. We are... This word just, we are bags of chemicals, but we have a biologically functioning brain. Which is just chemicals? Not just chemicals. You make it sound as if chemicals, of course it's chemicals, but not just. It's not a derogatory term that we're made of chemicals. Uh-huh. So, so when when you die, when you die, nature. when you die, you just, you're going to become fertiliser? Hopefully, nothing more. Well, who would want? Who would want anything more? I mean, well, life, life if you so if precious. you if you and I are just going to become fertilised when we die, what does it matter what anybody does? We all become fertiliser anyway, so it doesn't matter. Right, right here and now, Don. What does Why does it matter? Because ultimately, we, ultimately, we both end up as fertiliser. Why does it matter? If there is no God, nothing matters. In well, fact, that, in fact, that, the, that, atheist that. philosophers have actually made that very clear. Um, Richard Dawkins, he's not a philosopher, but he's an atheist. Um, he's made it very clear that the world has no meaning, no purpose. When you die, that's just the end. That's the end of everything. 
So if well, that's, a, if mean, that's, a, if that's the case... Surely is something that we... And I've, I've not... But there, is no, but there is no meaning and purpose if we just become fertilisers. Nothing, nothing matters. But you were wrong about that. You see, you must, you must... If you're a scientist, you've got a... Is this a hypothesis that you think or do you, are you absolutely sure it's true without a shadow of a doubt? It seems to me if you're a, a good scientist... Anything you say must be a hypothesis that relies on evidence and future evidence to support it. Your opinion about meaning of life is not in the least related to your your skills or otherwise as a scientist. Um, you actually changed the subject here. Uh, we talked about uh, a while ago, you were saying how you don't need the Bible to, or God to actually tell you how to behave. But in fact, I said to you, well, how do you get that from the fact that we're just chemicals and uh, some sort of accident from a big bang? Uh, you don't get it from that. So if, if God doesn't exist, uh, th- there is no basis for morality, absolutely. You can't say what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what well, is evil. You have an opinion about it. You have an opinion about it for sure. Everybody has an opinion about what's right and what's wrong. But ultimately, if God doesn't exist, it's just your opinion. Don, you use exactly the same technique I do. You know what's right and wrong, and then you look in the Bible. And no, no, the Bible actually says, the Bible actually says, Jesus said, love one another, and he says, uh, do unto your neighbor as you would have them do unto you. And Words to that, that effect. That, that's, a good, that's the golden and, rule. The golden rule doesn't come from chemistry. It doesn't. It, it comes from human, human um, intelligence and knowledge and, and uh, workings of human brain, and it predates... Jesus Christ and Christianity by Actually, many hundreds of years, as, as you well know. Well, I don't know how it can... It's in the Old Testament, so I don't know how it can predate it very much it's, at it's, all. It's Confucius. It's not universal. You look around the world, there are many religions, many cultures where that is not universal. I know. And, I know. Uh, and, and, but, and, but, but one doesn't need to postulate a supernatural creator it, for it to make sense. It's not universal because they don't have the Bible. We need to wrap up this conversation. Uh, a last word from Don. And so um, there's plenty of evidence the Bible is true. In fact, you look at the uh, origin of everything, the Big Bang, when nothing exploded and became everything, it's the most nonsensical concept. Uh, it's contrary to everything we know, contrary to all science, all human experience, that anything could come from nothing with no cause whatsoever. The Bible says that God created everything. Thank you for your call, uh, Neil from Brisbane. It's Neil with you on 2020. Our special guest this hour, Dr. Don Batten. He's a research scientist with Creation Ministries. Uh, Don, just reflecting on uh, our last caller, the idea of what we were talking about even before the caller went to air, the idea that people compartmentalise and they put their scientific worldview aside on Sunday when they open the Bible and then uh, the Bible gets set aside when they're perhaps back to their scientific worldview on the Monday. When you came to an appreciation of when science actually made sense in light of Scripture, what were you feeling at at that time? Well, uh, great elation, really. (laughs) It's, It's... Because I realized that all that time I was trying to compartmentalize things, it actually was eating away at me uh, in a sense of uh, gnawing at me in a sense of is is what you really believe about the Bible true? You know, because when you read your Bible, it seems like a history book. It's not just not just concepts, not just love one another, but it's actually a history of the world from the beginning. 
And the really the reason Jesus came and died on the cross and rose from the dead is locked up with the history. So if it didn't really happen, it doesn't really. I mean, Paul said if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you know, we're we're worse than you know. We might as well go off and play soccer or something, tiddlywinks or something. We should we shouldn't be playing around the church if Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead. It's not just a story, you know. So he did. He actually lived. He rose from the dead. But more than that, why did he do that? Well, the Bible, the New Testament, that talks about Jesus talks about in terms of what happened back in Genesis. So if what happened back in Genesis is just a story, didn't really happen, well, why did Jesus need to die on the cross? If sin didn't come through the first Adam, then why did the last Adam, Jesus, is called, is called the last Adam in the New Testament, why did he die on the cross? It's all tied up with the history. So if history didn't happen, if it's just a story, then what does it make of the gospel? It actually undermines the gospel. So when you start to think about these things, and many people don't think about them, and I try not to think about them. I was like the ostrich, put your head in the sand, trying to, well, what problem? I didn't see a problem, you know. And <laughs> and so you just just drift through life, you know, pretending there's not a problem. It's like the elephant in the room. Uh, yeah, what elephant? I can't see an elephant, you know. <laughs> and the elephant in the room for many Christians is this whole evolutionary worldview, which they've absorbed from the culture, absorbed from the the, the, the education system, and they've tried to meld it into their Christian faith, and it doesn't work. So as a Christian, when you appreciate Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, uh, two very, very powerful uh, points, uh, and some might argue the pivotal points of history with the things that happened in those times, his death and his resurrection, the fact that Jesus himself referred back to the Garden of Eden and, uh, and the entering into the world of sin, and death, yeah. uh, those are the things that are being dealt with on the cross and through Jesus' resurrection. So we can't ignore those. They have, they have to be a part of the way we uh, we articulate our faith. Yes, that's right. And if you get rid of those, you really undermine the whole reason for the gospel, the whole reason for Jesus dying, and the whole rationale for our, base, our faith. Well, as you might appreciate, the phone has been running hot. And uh, let's take some more calls. You can be a part of our conversation. 1-800-880-876 is our number. Uh, let's take Michael from Coburg in Victoria. Hello, Michael. Welcome to 2020. Michael, have we got you? If we don't have Michael, we'll go with Linda, who is in Warwick. Hello, Linda. Yes, good afternoon. How are you? Very well, thanks, Linda. What's your uh, comment or question or contribution to our conversation today? Well, I have a couple of comments on uh, something that Don had said just prior to the previous caller, Um, but I would like to start by saying I really appreciate Creation Ministries and their investigation from a scientific perspective and a truth perspective into our faith. And I would like to say, praise God for the death of Jesus on the cross. (laughs) Amen. Um, Don, just first in relation to what you were talking about, the GMO and seed banks and things like that, and um, the responsibility of governments to ensure that... um, intellectual property from uh, developing of GMO uh, crops and things like that is, you know, not um, taken over and and, um, becomes our main um, form of food and excludes everything else. And and in response to that, I would say, well, I have real issue with companies um, like Monsanto at the moment, and that's, in my opinion, of course, um, what they are trying to do with all their GMO crops and uh, particularly in things like cereal crops and then with the issue of contamination, how do we stop a GMO crop growing next door, for example, to an organic farmer's crop 
and contaminating his crop. And then the, the poor organic farmer, uh, if he ends up with contaminated wheat, well, he can't sell his wheat, one, because it's not organic, and two, because uh, Monsanto says, well, that's my strain of wheat and you can't sell it. So I see that really is an issue now. Um, mm-hmm. Well, that actually has happened in Canada and uh, with, a, with a GM crop with somebody... Um, anyway, the, I, I think this is where government should be involved and uh, we, we should be uh, making representatives through political channels to make sure that um, the law doesn't allow companies like Monsanto to, to take people to court over such things. Yeah. Um, and uh, but another legi- legitimate role of governments is to stop monopolies, and they do this with, say, for example, if Woolworths wanted to take over Coles or vice versa, they wouldn't allow that because that just gets rid of one of the major players and makes virtually a monopoly in uh, supermarkets. So um, Monsanto should not be allowed to take over other seed companies and so on and uh, gain a complete monopoly on this whole area. Uh, but there's nothing to stop any company from uh, getting setting up uh, and selling seeds or whatever um, to other people and whatever. So uh, it's pretty hard for a company like Monsanto to control it. But I think it's a, an area for political action and uh, and certainly there shouldn't be the ability to prosecute people for uh, pollen crossing the fence and pollinating your wheat crop or something like that. Uh, wheat is a particularly problematic thing for GM uh, because it is uh, wind pollinated, and so the pollen will blow around, um, uh, unlike some of the other crops where um, uh, the pollen transfer is much less likely. Um, so, yeah, these are issues, and they're, they're issues of wisdom and issues for political action where necessary. Uh, Linda from Warwick, thank you so much for your input today here on 2020. Let's keep taking some calls. Zach is in Carnarvon in Victoria. Hello, Zach. Uh, yeah, I'm here. Um, it's actually Canava. Canava, great. Yeah. Good yeah. on you, Zach. What's uh, what's your question? Um, well, just because the when it talks about creation in the Bible, it says um, on I think it was the third day, um, plants were created. Yeah, that's true. That's true, Zach. Yeah, yeah. and then I can't remember. And then on the fifth day. The sun, moon, and stars were created. Oh, well, the four, and fourth day, actually, fourth and, day, yeah. Yeah, and on with um plants, they obviously need sunlight to um they need light to um survive. So I was just wondering, um, do we actually need the sun, moon, and stars for light, or if we do, then would it have had to be um God providing a supernatural source? Well, you read right. you read there in the, on the first day it says God said let there be light and there was light and there's evening morning the first day or day one so light was created before the sun this is interesting and so God is, God can do that he can create light without the sun and so he created plants on day three of creation and the sun wasn't created on day four because these these are the ordinary days the evening morning day one day two like it reads. Uh, then plants can be created on one day and then the sun created the next day. They'll live, they'll live for 24 hours without light. That's not a problem. Um, so uh, a straightforward reading of it, it's not a problem uh, at all, but it does say that God created light uh, in the beginning before he created the sun. And so you have uh, the light provided there anyway. Does that answer your question, Zach? Yeah, pretty much. Thanks, Zach. Zach, thanks for being part of 2020 today. 2020 on Vision. 
It's Neil with you on 2020. Dr Don Batten from Creation Ministries, our guest this hour, and uh, so many great callers calling through with questions and comments. Uh, let's take another one. Joe is in Yarrawonga. Hello, Joe. Welcome to 2020. Hi, how are you? Very good. What's your question for Dr Don? Um, as I was saying to the gentleman that picked up the phone before, I'm not very good at condensing things, but I'll try. Okay. Um, my concern is, I mean, we, we, we bring our children up with a Christian faith. Um, we're very fortunate that my husband has a, a very good scientific understanding of these things, and so we can probably input a lot into our kids as opposed to creation versus evolution. Um, our children are primary school age at the moment. Um, what um, I guess I find is both interesting and concerning is the fact that sometimes even your Christian schools still have that element of evolution that they put through with their studies. It's almost like we're, we're not game to say no to evolution directly. Um, we're putting into our kids as much as we possibly can. But I was just wondering what um, Don's opinion was on that. I mean, I, I find it a little bit bemusing personally if we have a Christian faith and they go to a Christian school. Um, that to me, that would think they would be taught creation. Um, and going by our, our caller earlier, our gentleman from Brisbane, I mean, our children are young now, but they're going to come up against this opposition as they grow through school. And I know in the past, I've known children when they were younger, they got to high school and were completely shouted down by the teachers um, when they dared to raise their creation faith, so to speak. Um, I was just wondering what thoughts Don had on that. That's about yeah. how to arm your kids. Yeah, yeah you, you, I you, mean, you... we can do the best that we can, but just trying to figure mm. out a way with, by the time they get to that stage where they really are facing the true opposition. Well, here's the bottom line. We, we've raised three kids. They're now adults, and all three are strong Christians. And parents have a, a big responsibility here. It's not just a matter of leaving it to the school, as you recognised. And uh, one of the great resources we had in our family is Creation Magazine. This is before I had anything to do with Creation Magazine, before I was an editor. We had it um, in, our, in our home. And so the children would see the Creation Magazine and resources like that, uh, Creation Magazine and the, the um, videos, DVDs and things that are available uh, we would watch David Attenborough, for example, with our kids, not shelter them from evolution, watch David Attenborough with our kids and teach them to distinguish between the storytelling and the facts. And so every time he said something outrageous, like he said, well, this little mud skipper here was walking out on the land. It was it grew legs and became, it was our ancestor, you know, this sort of stuff. Um, you sort of laugh at it and, and, and teach the kids to realize that the mud skipper's real and the, some of the, the biology's real, but the storytelling about it, the evolution is actually a story and a, and a fanciful story at that. And, uh, and so teach our kids, not children our kids from evolution, but to teach them to think properly about it. In fact, I would say that Christian kids should understand evolution better than the non-Christian kids, uh, not be sheltered from it, but understand it better. Understand why it doesn't work. That's the thing. And we, there's nothing to be fearful of this. Um, it's, and, and one of the problems with Christian schools is this. The, because they get money from the government and for for accreditation, they have to agree to certain things. So the government sends out inspectors, and what's been happening in New South Wales and Victoria particularly, to a lesser extent in Queensland, I don't know about the other states, is the inspectors have been telling Christian schools, if you don't agree not to teach creation in science class, we'll not register you, we'll, we'll deregister you. Now, this is a draconian uh, uh, thing that's happening. The Christian schools are being forced to back, become like state schools, in other words. 
And so you've got to be aware of this. Um, many Christian schools also take teachers from the uh, secular education system. So they haven't really thought through themselves uh, thinking, thinking Christianly about these things. So there's a whole lot of issues there. But look, the bottom line is parents need to be involved and get the resources. Creation.com, there's masses of material. There's uh, the uh, the DVDs, magazine and things like that. Mm, no, I just, I just find there's so much information out there that um, that supports the Bible in so many ways and so much more of it coming out every day. Indeed, you know, just, indeed so, yeah. It, it kind of bemuses me rather a lot as to how people can still come up with the view of, oh, the Bible is just a story and, you know, there's so much more evidence there to prove that it wasn't. But, um, but thank you for that, very much for that, and we really appreciate the work that you do through well, Creation Ministries. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. Thank okay, you bye-bye. to Joe from Yarrawonga in Victoria. We won't have time to take any more calls, uh, but just to pick up on what Joe was saying there, uh, there is so much more information available now. And uh, reflecting on what some of our earlier callers have been talking about and uh, a scientific approach to the way we th- we think about yeah. uh, who we are and uh, the Bible's description of that, yeah. uh, the evidence is continuing to mount. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, people were hung up about the guy a while ago was talking about... Uh, the thousands of years, how ridiculous it is. Actually, it's an article on our website, 101 Evidences for a Young Age of the Earth and the Universe, which I wrote, actually. But it's 101 Evidences, actually 101 listed evidences, references to material and so on. There's an enormous amount of material, but people just never heard of it. People have just never heard of it. Now, the creation.com website, uh, when people go there, there's uh, a lot of uh, great resources they can download. Some, Most of those, a lot of those are for free, and some of them obviously you can buy, but uh, free no, resources. N- 9,500 articles are free. There's heaps of video material, all free. There's a masses of material freely available. Well, so creation.com, and uh, thanks to everyone who called in through the hour and uh, put your questions to Dr. Don Batten. Uh, from Creation Ministries. Don, it's just been a pleasure. Thanks so much for being with us today on 2020. My pleasure, Neil. Good to be with you. Like what you've just heard? There's more great podcasts or you can listen to us live at vision.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener supported. Your donation of any amount will help us continue connecting faith to life. Learn more or donate today at vision.org.au.